right, so ladies, I'm just going to tell you that Carol McLeod, if you've not been to one of her conferences, is a world-class Bible teacher. And you can, uh, I've been to many, many conferences, and conferences are not cheap. Uh, the early bird rate for this conference expires this Thursday, and you can't get material or teaching like you're going to get at this conference for $45. That is tremendous value. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're interested, to take a look at the insert that is inside your bulletin uh, for more information on where you can go to register for this incredible conference. Carol McLeod is going to be a great time. It will change your life, and I hope that you'll bring someone with you for that. Well, I just want to say welcome to everyone here today, especially if you are new with us. Uh, my name is Pete Jankowski, and I serve as the lead pastor here at Life Church Buffalo, and we're excited to have you. Uh, and if you are tuning in online, I want to say hello to you as well. We have a lot of people that aren't able to make it to church every single Sunday, and they tune in later on in the week because we upload a podcast to our website. And so if that's you, uh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule uh, to listen to this. And we look forward to seeing you in person because there really is no substitute for being connected to and plugged into a local church family. And so we look forward to seeing you in person here, uh, hopefully next Sunday. But uh, man, I cannot believe that Easter is three weeks away. Can you believe that? It felt like Christmas was just yesterday. And here we are staring at Easter, barreling down at us. And uh, you know what else that means that's coming up soon? Actually, I was just looking at the calendar yesterday. It's nine days away. How many of you know what is nine days away from now? Spring. Who's ready for spring? Come on now. I am so done with winter. I'm so done with the cold weather. You know, I was just uh, the other day walking into the store with my two boys, and it was really cold outside. And, and Isaac, my youngest, he's six years old, uh, in typical Isaac fashion, wasn't wearing his coat. And so we're like walking quickly into the store, and he's like, it's cold. Dad, I can't wait for it to be 100 degrees. And I'm like, buddy, I don't know if it gets that warm around here, really. He's like, yeah, huh, it does. Mommy told me. Last summer, she said it got up to 90-something degrees. And I'm like, well, maybe 90 every now and then. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, buddy. I can't wait for the warm weather either. And that conversation just ensued to talking about all things summer-related. We started you know, dreaming about what we were going to do that summer. The boys got a trampoline for Christmas this year. And so they're looking forward to having the trampoline set up. But then Isaac said, oh, yeah, Dad, guess what? When are you going to take me on a camping trip like you did with, uh, with Sammy last summer? And so the conversation just started going on about like he was wanting to know what me and Sammy did at our camping trip last year. Because for those of you that are newer or don't know me, last year I started something that is going to become an annual tradition with my boys uh, to really, you know, do the male bonding. We wanted to do the manly bonding. And so uh, I just want to create some moments where I can, you know, spend time with my boys and intentionally initiate them into authentic biblical masculinity. And, uh, you know, I, so, so Sammy and I were just talking back and forth about what Isaac could expect, because last year was Sammy's first time. He's seven, and uh, Isaac is turning seven later this year, and so it's his turn. And uh, those of you that know me know that, you know, I... I was kind of intimidated at the prospect of camping. Uh, my dad never really took us camping, and I wasn't, I didn't grow up in the Scouts. I did a couple years of Royal Rangers back in the day, but uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so 
my buddy lent me a bunch of his camping gear and kind of, you know, gave me the scoop on what I need to do. And, you know, so we get there and we're telling Sammy, yeah, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to set up the tent. And when we set up the tent, I was just glad to get it up and see it stay up, you know, but I, I follow instructions really well. And so there was an instruction sheet, you know, in, in, the, in the tent bag. And so kind of checked that one off the list. And one of the best things about camping, though, are the campfires. And so Sammy and I were telling Isaac about, oh, yeah, you're going to make a fire. You get to cook dinner over the fire. And, you know, I didn't really know how much wood to bring to camping last year. And so I just, I stopped on the side of the road on our way out to Sprigbrook Park and picked up some wood, you know, from some dude that was just selling it out in front of his house and hoping it was good wood. But we got there and it was green wood. It was not seasoned at all. And was, I was having a really hard time getting a decent fire to start. And because I didn't, you know, grow up in, in the scouts, I was like, okay, I think I know how to start a fire, but you know, we're going to, we're going to do our best here. And, you know, we got a meager fire going that first day, but on our first night, all right, we're in the tent and it starts raining and the rain fly over the tent has holes in it. And so it's raining in the tent while we're trying to sleep. And Sammy's like, Daddy, are we going to be okay? I'm like, dude, just relax. It's all right. You know, the worst thing that happens is we get a little wet. And so the next day, though, we wake up and everything outside is soaked. It rained all night long. All the wood was wet. And, you know, we're, I'm trying to get a fire started and it's not happening. And so I call Kelly up and I said, hey, babe, I, I need you to pick up some extra firewood and some kindling because we're not going to be able to start a fire without something dry. And so she brings some firewood out and we're able to get something going, but the kindling, we, we went through it really quick. And, and the larger logs were still having a hard time um, getting caught on fire. And I'm like, I'm getting really discouraged and really frustrated. And those of you that follow me on social media were kind of laughing at my like daily updates of, you know, the frustrations I was having, uh, camping, trying to get a fire started, not knowing how to fish and not catching anything bigger than like a three inch sunny or bluegill and all this stuff. And so Sammy looks at me as I'm ready to just like give up. I'm like, buddy, I don't know that we're going to be able to have a fire today. He's like, daddy, don't give up, please. So of course, you know, your son tells you not to give up and I'm, I'm determined at this point. Okay, buddy, we're going to get a fire going. And so we kind of went into the woods and rummaged and foraged for anything dry that we could find. Leaves, twigs. We found some, um, some pine branches that had some really dry pine needles on them that made for really good kindling. And, and so we, we took the paper towels that we had brought with us camping. And we crumpled those up first and put some of the dry, you know, pine needles on top of it and took the fire stick and, and got it lit and it started, you know, but it was still having a hard time getting the larger stuff to catch on fire. And so I'm, I'm blowing on it, right? Like you do with a fire, trying to get it going. And Sammy's like, daddy, you're going to put it out. Don't blow on it. I'm like, no, actually, son, you know, fire needs air and that actually helps it keep going. And he's like, oh, can I help then? And so we're both sitting there next to the fire, like, blowing on it. And sure enough, it starts to, it starts to pick up a little bit, but then, you know, after a couple minutes, we're both really lightheaded and we can't keep doing this. And so I take one of the paper plates that we had brought with us and I create a fan and I'm like fanning the flame to get it going. And eventually before long, we persevered and triumphed and we had a pretty good sized campfire going. We persevered and we got a fire going and yes. And I know that was a dad win. That was a dad win right there. But I was thinking about it, you know, and it takes a lot of work to keep a fire going, doesn't it? And I think the same is true spiritually in our lives. And that's what I want to talk to us all about today. I've titled my message, Fan the Flame, 
because we've got to fan the flames of the fire of our love for God and our love for the people that he's put into our lives. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, that's okay. We always put the words up on the screen for you. But this idea of fanning into flame our love for God, you know, because when I think about it, isn't that what following Jesus is all about? Jesus said the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And you should love your neighbor as yourself. And as we head into Easter three weeks away, I just want to encourage us all to think about this idea of our need to fan and to flame the fire of our love for God and our love for people. Because the Apostle Paul says this to his spiritual son, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Verse six, for this reason, I remind you to, say it all with me, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Some translations say does not make us fearful. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear, but God's spirit gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, I can't help but get touched when I read this passage. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the pastoral epistles, which this is one of. The pastoral epistles are letters that Paul wrote near the end of his life to some people that he really loved and cared for deeply. There are three letters that are considered the pastoral epistles. It's 1 Timothy, Titus, and 2 Timothy, and in that order. Now, in between Titus and 2 Timothy, Paul had gotten out of jail and then had gone back into prison. And his first experience in jail was kind of a plush situation, just to give you a, a little bit of context and history. He was under house arrest, but it was kind of like a rented house, and he had a lot of favor with the Roman officials. They allowed people to come in and tend to his needs, and he had some freedom to move about. I mean, it was jail, but it was still kind of not a terrible situation. His second imprisonment, though, was a much different situation. It was under the, the emperor Nero, the Caesar Nero, and the treatment of Christians under his rule and reign had gone downhill fast. This is when you begin to see in history, you know, Christians being persecuted at such an extent where they, they started burning Christians at the stake and, you know, allowing them to be eaten alive by wild animals in the Roman Colosseum for sport. That was entertainment. That's how Christians were viewed during this time in history. And so Paul is in prison under Nero. And, you know, you read later on in his letter that, you know, he asks Timothy to bring him his cloak. Because winter's approaching. We know that from chapter 4, verse 21. Winter's approaching. He said, bring my cloak. I left it in Troas, and I need it. So you can imagine Paul rotting away in this cold, dark Roman dungeon with no coat to, to warm his chilled and trembling frame. And Paul knows that he is nearing the end of his life because in the same letter, he writes to Timothy and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have, I've run my race, Timothy, and, and I'm about to receive the reward that's laid up for me. And so he knows he's reaching the end. And with his departure at hand, it's on his heart to encourage this young pastor that he had kind of been a spiritual father to. And he's encouraging him to fan into flame the gift of God that was in him. In this 
dispatch from death row, if you will. He wanted to encourage his, his spiritual son to increase the intensity of the fire that was in him for the things that God had called him to do. And in this moment, in our journey as a church, I feel like God would have us do the same. I'm not Paul and I'm not in a prison, but as your pastor, I just wanna echo the words of Paul to you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in your hearts. And that gift is Jesus Christ himself. Is there any greater gift that's ever been given mankind than Jesus? That gift is also the story of what he's done in your lives. You have a story of how God has changed your life and that is a gift from God and that can be used to share with others what God can do in their lives. And you also have a calling. You have a work that he has purposed for you to do. Ephesians 2 says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's planned in advance for us to do. God's got a purpose for you. He has a work for you. And that is a gift from God. And Paul is encouraging Timothy to fan into flame the gift that's in you. You know, when I think about flames, I think about how many good things can be done with fire. Certainly fire can be destructive, but fire when harnessed properly can be incredibly useful. You know, last year, my family and I went on vacation to Colonial Williamsburg. And uh, if you're a history buff, I would strongly encourage you. That's a, a location you don't want to miss. We had a phenomenal time together. And one of my favorite attractions, see, everything in Colonial Williamsburg is a replication of 18th century Williamsburg in Virginia. And they do everything the same way that they did it back then. And one of the favorite things I got to see and watch was the blacksmith. When we went into the blacksmith shop, you see this guy standing in front of this fire that he is, he's pulling on this chain, which is actuating this huge giant bellows. You know, the, those big kind of fans, if you will, that blow air across a fire to intensify and increase the heat of the coals. And they watch for the, the color of the flames to know when the fire is hot enough to really make the metal that goes into the fire malleable enough to, to shape it into the different utensils and things that they make. It was fascinating. I was riveted. I mean, there's something about fire that you can't help but just stare at when you see it. And I was just, I was glued to it. And before long, I realized, like, where, where did my family go? They, they, were, they went on to the next thing, and I'm like, this kid next to me, I think his name was Billy. I'm like, isn't this the coolest thing you've ever seen? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I was just like mesmerized. And I think at the time that day, they were making like ladles or something for, uh, for the kitchens to use. And, 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 and this idea of, you know, using air and wind to blow across a fire to increase the intensity of the fire got me thinking, you know, Sammy, when we were camping, thought initially that blowing on it would put the fire out. But as we all know, wind can actually cause a small fire to turn into a raging inferno. I mean, just ask the people that live on the West Coast that battle, you know, wildfires every year. They watch the weather reports very closely because they know when those Santa Ana winds start blowing, it can wreak havoc as the flames get crazy hot and it spreads the fire so quickly. Fire can, or wind can turn fire into a raging inferno. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that that's what God wants to speak to our hearts today. 
See, Paul was telling Timothy, there's something great in your heart, Timothy. See, some people read this and they kind of see it as almost like a chastisement or a correction that Paul is giving to Timothy for, you know, that he had allowed the fire in his heart to kind of grow cold or to go out. And I don't see it that way. I think Paul is telling his spiritual son, Timothy, you've got something great in your heart, Timothy, but it just needs to get bigger. That fire needs to get hotter. I believe God wants to blow across the fire of our hearts today because what got us here isn't gonna get us there. And that's why Paul is telling Timothy the same thing. You know, just like, how many of you believe that where you're going is not where you are today, right? Just like where you were is not where you are today. God's got something bigger for you. God's got something better for you. He's got a work for you to do, but we've got to partner with him because Paul is telling Timothy, you've got to fan into flame the gift that's within you. That flame might not have gotten any smaller in your heart or in my heart, but I want to blow across the fire of your heart today to see it get bigger and higher and hotter. We've got to fan into flame the gift that's within us. I want to give you three quick things this morning about spiritual fire, three things to know about spiritual fire. And the first one is this. Spiritual fire comes from above, but it must be sustained by love. Spiritual fire comes from above, but it must be sustained by love. This fire that we're talking about is not some man-made thing. See, fire comes from above. When we say yes to Jesus, his Holy Spirit comes in and takes up permanent residence in our hearts. You know, Hebrews calls God a consuming fire. The Holy Spirit appeared as tongues of fire on the disciples in the upper room at Pentecost and Acts. God is a consuming fire. And I think that it's crazy for us to try and do God's work without God's power. When we think of God being a consuming fire, God wants to endue us with power to do his work. Because when you said yes to Jesus, you weren't just saying yes to a better life. You weren't just saying yes, you know, to punch your ticket into heaven. You were saying yes to a mission that he gave the original 12 that is still being carried out to this day. Their mission is our mission, to make disciples of all people, to share the life and the love of Jesus with everyone in our personal worlds. And it's crazy to try and do that without God's power. But this fire that, that God puts within us has got to be sustained by love. Just like you put gas in your car and that's what makes it go. Love is what fuels the fire of God in our hearts. Both, fire for, both love for God and love for people. That's why Jesus said, it all comes down to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he took it a, a step further when he later said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That goes beyond just like the golden rule, like do unto others as you want them to do unto you. Now it's like, no, I want you to love people the way I've loved you. When you didn't deserve it, I still laid down my life for you. I still sacrificed for you. And that's how we're called to love one another. Because without love, the fire starts to die. I mean, when you look at 1 Corinthians, you got chapter 12, which is all about spiritual gifts, being empowered to do what God's called us to do. 1 Corinthians 14 is all about spiritual gifts. And then sandwiched right between it is what is known as the love chapter. You probably heard it read from a thousand times at every wedding you go to. That's not by accident. Love is what makes the spiritual gifts useful. If you don't have love, as Paul says, you have nothing. 
It doesn't matter if you have the faith to move mountains. If you don't have love, you're just a, a clanging gong, a resounding cymbal. Love fuels our fire. Because listen, you've got to continue to revive what you have received. Love is the fuel that keeps our fire going. You've got to continue to revive what you have received. Which brings me to my second point about spiritual fire is that it goes out if it's left alone. Spiritual fire goes out if it's left alone. When you turn your back on a campfire, like when I was camping with Sammy, if we had walked away from it for too long, it would have gone out. It doesn't keep going on its own. You've got to keep putting wood on the fire. You've got to keep adding fuel to it. And the same is true of our spiritual fire. It goes out if it's left alone. Listen to me. You never drift in the right direction. And in life, drift happens. We all drift. In life, drift happens, and you're never going to drift in the right direction. And we just learned in the previous point that, that spiritual fire is sustained by love. Being on fire in the past is no guarantee that you're still on fire today. If you can remember a time in your life when you were on fire for God and when you were excited about what he was doing in your life and you wanted to share that with anyone and everyone that would listen, it doesn't mean that you're still on fire today. And we lose our fire when we forget to keep the main things the main things. You know, Jesus told the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter two, he says, you've done a lot of good things, but I have one thing against you. You've lost or you've forsaken your first love. He says, repent and go back and do the things you did at first. And too many Christians today in our culture and in our society, like we've equated our, spiritual, our spirituality, our relationship with God to some feeling. Well, I don't feel God anymore, so I'm not gonna do what I'm supposed to do. I didn't, I didn't have goosebumps in that, in that service, so God must not have been there. Right feelings follow right action. Jesus said, go back and do the things you did at first. What were those things? To rekindle spiritual fire, we've got to get back to the basics, which is spending time in God's word, prioritizing prayer, and being committed to gathering together with other Christians who, who can encourage us and who can, who can help build us up in the faith. These are the things that we did at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus that we must continue to do. And you might be here and be like, well, that's not very profound, Pastor Pete. You know, just read my Bible, pray, and go to church. Like, not very profound. And it might not be profound, but it's true. It's true. The main things are often the plain things, and the plain things are often the main things. If you can think of a time in your life when you were more on fire for God, I can almost guarantee you that you were spending time in God's word, that you were prioritizing prayer, and that you were committed to gathering together with other believers. That's how we keep our spiritual fire from going out. Which brings me to the third point about spiritual fire is that people are drawn to a roaring fire. There's something about fire, isn't there, when you see it? Like when you know that there's gonna be a bonfire, you're like, I wanna be there. Can I come? You bring the graham crackers, I'll bring the chocolate. He can bring the... The marshmallows will mix s'mores. There's something about fire that people are drawn to, right? When, you, when you're driving down the road, if you see like a house on fire, what's your initial instinctual reaction? Like you want to slow down, stop. You want to look, right? You want to see what's going on. People are drawn to a roaring fire. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, 
I will draw all men unto me. And when you're spending time in God's word, when you're praying, when you're gathering together, what are you doing? You are lifting Jesus up in your life. And when that happens, when you're doing that, the, the fruit that's produced from your life, that fire that is produced, people are drawn to that. You're more loving, you're more kind, you're more joyful. And people, I want what you've got. People are drawn to a roaring fire. You know, there was an 18th century philosopher named David Hume, who was very antagonistic to the teachings of Christianity. He was agnostic, atheist, and there was one time where he was walking down the streets of London and bumped into a friend of his who was, was really in a hurry, and his friend said, I, I, can't, I can't talk right now, I, I'm in a hurry. And he's like, where are you off to? What are you doing? He's like, I'm going to hear, uh, I'm going to hear George Whitfield preach. And for those of you that don't know who George Whitfield is, he was a, a very famous preacher in the 18th century uh, in the Great Awakenings. He preached both in England and in America. God used him in a powerful way to bring many, many people to faith. And so David was like, what? Because he knew that his friend kind of rolled like he did. He was, you know, in the agnostic, atheist lane. And, and listen, if that's you here today, uh, if you've got questions about faith, we're, we're glad you're here. This is a place we've tried to be very intentional about being a church where you don't have to believe in order to belong. You know, that you can feel comfortable to come and bring your questions and bring your doubts and, and, and discover, discover and explore faith on your own terms. But we're just glad you're here. So welcome. But, you know, he says to his friend, so you don't believe what George Whitfield preaches, do you? And his friend said to him, shoot, no. No, he didn't say it like that. Proper English people don't talk like that. <laughs> he, said to, he said to David, he's like, no, I, I don't believe the things he preaches, but he does. That's why I'm going, because he believes it. See, people are drawn to a roaring fire. And when you live with passion, when you're, when you're passionate and in fire about the things of God and what he's done in your life, people are attracted to that. People are drawn to a roaring fire. And that's why Paul encouraged Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God within him. Fan into flame. Get that thing roaring hot because people are gonna be drawn to that. And I feel this season as a church with Easter approaching that God would have us all fan into flame what's within us into a roaring bonfire that people are drawn to and that we would use that fire to invite others to church with you this Easter so that they too can meet the risen and resurrected Savior that changed your life. You know, maybe you're here today and you would say, well, who am I supposed to invite to church? Who am I supposed to bring with me? I'm so glad you asked because I'm going to share with you who you should bring. But before I tell you who, I just, I just want to say that I'm, I'm so grateful that this is a church that makes it easy to invite people to. You know, because I grew up in some churches where I did not want to bring my friends to church. <laughs> there was some weird stuff that was going on that I was like, uh-uh. And not to mention that most of the time I was like, bored out of my mind. Why would I ever want to bring anybody to this? But when you bring people to church here, we've gone to great lengths to make sure our, our whole goal in guest services is to make sure that our guests have the greatest experience they've had all week, regardless of where they've been. You know that when you bring somebody to church, they're going to be greeted with a warm smile and a handshake. They're going to get to enjoy a free cup of great coffee from Premier Coffee Roasters on the house. 
They're going to hear, you know, an excellent band. Even if they don't know the songs or, or the words, they can appreciate the excellence with which we worship our God. And they're going to hear the word of God taught in a relevant and practical way so they can understand that, hey, God's word is, is still applicable to our lives today. And listen, if they stick around long enough, they're also going to have an opportunity to respond to the invitation to make Jesus Lord of their lives. And listen to me, that doesn't happen in every church. I grew up in churches where I could count on one hand the number of people that actually got saved in church because it was geared around those who were already convinced. But here, we make sure to provide opportunities for people to say yes to Jesus. And so, who are we going to invite? What I want to do today is kind of fan into flame our passion for people and to stoke the fire for our love of the people in our lives that don't know Jesus, I'm gonna give you a little acronym that spells FAN to help you remember who you need to bring to church with you this Easter. And so the first letter F is for friends and family, close friends and family. Now this group is obvious, obviously the most obvious, right? But it's also because of that, um, sometimes the hardest group uh, to bring to church with you because they know you the best. They've seen you at your best, and they've also seen you at your worst. And so because they've seen you at your worst, there's this inner fear. They're like, oh, what are they going to think? Am I just a hypocrite? You know? And by the way, when did following Jesus become synonymous with being perfect? I've got issues. We've all got problems. We're messed up. That's why we need Jesus. The only perfect one died on a cross. Amen? Amen. But there's that fear that you know, people are going to, why? You go to church? Okay. <laughs> And we see them all the time. And because of that, sometimes they become invisible to us. It's like there's these golden opportunities hiding in plain sight. And these are the people that honestly, I think sometimes we just give up on inviting because we've done it so many times and so many times they've turned us down. But how do you know that the next invite won't be the one that they say yes to? You know, if we look back at our text, how did Timothy come into the faith? Look at verse 5 again with me. Paul said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. You've got these, these two women, Lois and Eunice, who had come to know Jesus, and their natural reaction was to fan into flame their passion for their family, and the result was Timothy coming to faith. Timothy got saved because he had a praying grandma and mom. How many of you are in the faith today because you had a praying mom or a praying grandmother? I am so thankful that my mom was passionate, that she fanned into flame the gift that was in her and wanted everyone in her family to know the same Jesus that changed her life. You know, we just celebrated International Women's Day a few days ago. I'm so grateful for the strong, faithful women in my life. I would not be who I am today without them. Friends and family. So who in your family do you need to invite to church this Easter? What close friends do you need to bring to church with you? Because we got to start at home. We got to start at home with our close friends and family. 
You know, I was talking to my wife a few days ago about this message and, and just asking her some questions. And, and, you know, she was able to list off several people without even thinking about it that are in the faith today because she cared enough, because she had fanned into flame the, the, the gift of God that was in her. Friends that she knew in high school that didn't know Jesus, that because she invited them to church, she cared enough to bring them to church. They got saved. They married Christian men. They're now raising Christian kids, all because she fanned into flame the gift that was in her. So who are you going to bring to church? And listen, for those of you that have been praying for certain members of your family for years and years and years, can I just encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. The fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. You don't know what God is doing behind the scenes in their lives and when that prayer is going to come to fruition. Don't give up on your dad or your mom. Don't give up on your husband or your wife. Don't give up on your son or your daughter. Don't give up on your best friend. You know, we had some people in the last service, woman who had been friends for, she had, I think close to 30 years, this close friend of hers, and she had asked time after time after time, I really want you to come to church with me. And she had come one time, but was just not having it. Had she given up, her friend wouldn't have come with her last fall to the Starting Over series and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. Don't give up. And just remember, it's not your job to change them. It's not your job to save them. Your job is just to represent the love of Jesus to them the best way you know how, to just be real, to care about them, and take advantage of every opportunity to bring them to church where they can encounter the Jesus that changed your life. Which brings me to the second group of people. The A stands for associates and acquaintances. Associates and acquaintances. These are people just outside of your inner circle, but that you still see on a regular basis. They may not be super close, but you, you know, run into them often enough. Your classmates, your coworkers, your teammates, people you work out with at the gym. You know, the other soccer moms, your kids are involved with different extracurricular activities, and you're seeing the parents, you know, at each one of those the people you work with, the people you work for, the people who work for you. And if I could just say, you know, if you're going to do this at work, just be careful when you're doing it on work time. The best testimony that you can sometimes give people is the excellence with which you do your job. Stand out by how you do your job. Do it with excellence because everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. And then just be aware of the opportunities that present themselves. Like, you know, take an interest in the lives of people that you work with. There's water cooler talk that happens, right? Find out what's happening in their family. Ask them questions. And as they're talking about their marriage or their mom who's in the hospital or their, their son who's having drug problems or whatever, just say, hey, you know what? I'm somebody who believes in prayer. I just want you to know I'm, I'm praying for your mom. And that plants a seed in them. And then you just follow up and say, hey, how, how's your mom doing? And then as, the, as the doors of opportunity present themselves, just Make sure you take advantage of it when it's appropriate to invite them to church. Associates and acquaintances. You know, I've got a friend that I used to work out with at the gym last year. Um, and just because we worked out on a regular basis, um, you know, I'd find out after, after the workout what's going on in his life. And he was telling me about, you know, this relationship with it, um, that he was in with his girlfriend. 
And he, it became evident to me that he was, you know, he had faith. He was a person of faith, but his, his girlfriend wasn't. And he had tried to invite her to church a couple of times, but she was very, very reluctant, very skeptical about anything, you know, that had to do with faith. And, you know, he found out just through casual conversation after working out that about this time last year that we were doing the Case for Christ movie and series. And so he invited his girlfriend to come, and she was going to come to the movie, but then she wound up getting sick, and she couldn't come. Uh, but a couple of weeks later, she did wind up. She said, look, Joe, I, I'm, I'll come with you because I love you, but don't push this religion stuff on me. You know how I feel about that. And she came, and then she came back again another week, and then she came back again, and then she came back again. And she heard enough, and she experienced a warmth here and an acceptance. And you know what happened five or six weeks into her coming here? She said yes to Jesus. All because I was willing to cross that threshold with my buddy in the gym to say, hey, why don't you just invite her to church sometime? Associates and acquaintances. It doesn't have to be awkward. It should just be part of our natural conversation because Jesus has changed our lives. And if we care about the people that we come into contact with, we, it should be easy for us to, in natural conversation, bring it up and invite them to church. Which brings us to the last point. The N stands for neighbors. This obviously would stand for our physical neighbors. And here's a tip. It helps if you actually know your neighbors. <laughs> Don't knock on your neighbor's door and invite them to church if you've never said hi to your neighbor before. <laughs> that would be awkward and just weird. Okay, in our society today, there's so many of us that it's just so individualistic and so private. Like we pull into our garage, the garage door closes behind us, we've got our fenced in yards, and we never interact with the person that lives right next door. So like take an interest in their lives and you know, let your kids run loose in the neighborhood to give you a reason to chase after them and actually get to know the parents of the other kids in the neighborhood. You know, last year, my wife actually, when we were newer to the neighborhood, she just baked cookies and went around to some of our neighbors and said, hey, we're new to the neighborhood, just wanted to introduce myself and say hi and bring over some cookies that I baked, you know, and you would be surprised what kind of conversation ensues from just being kind and polite to your neighbors. And we got to learn that some of them were battling some serious health challenges. And Kelly just took the opportunity to say, hey, do you, do you mind if I pray for you? And she got to pray for them on the spot. One of them was battling cancer. Another one had a health scare. So yes, your physical neighbors, but also Jesus extended the definition of a neighbor through the parable of the Good Samaritan to anyone that we come into contact with who's in need, right? We've got to fan into flame the gift of God within us. And that means we've got to be close enough to Jesus to hear his heartbeat for the people in this world that don't know him. So every chance random encounter you have can turn into a divine appointment. When you're at the post office, at the grocery store, coffee shop barista, all these chance random encounters, if you're living on mission, if you've got your antennas up, can turn into a divine appointment if you're willing to let it be. Makes me think of Rich and Alice Clarkson, who are some volunteers here at our church and the guest services. They've been coming to our church for a little over a year. And they've just taken the approach that they've got this shop that they own in East Aurora where they sell some art and some furniture that Rich makes. And they keep a stack, a pile of invites to Life Church Buffalo on the counter at their store. 
And we've had a couple people come to our church simply because they just leave those out there. People take it and say, what's this? I'm like, oh, that's the church we go to. You should come sometime. We'd love to have you. We'll sit with you. People have come to know Jesus because they picked up an invitation at their store. So our physical neighbors, our random chance encounters, we've got a fan into flame. And listen, this, this idea of fan into flame is a present active infinitive in the original Greek. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a grammar lesson here because the present active infinitive means you can't do it one time and say, done, got it, nailed it. <laughs> present active infinitive implies that means it's a present and ongoing action. We keep doing it. It's infinitive, 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 infinitive. You've got to fan. You've got to keep fanning and keep fanning and keep fanning into flame your love for God, your love for people, your friends and your family, for your associates and your acquaintances, for your neighbors. You've got to keep fanning into flame your love for them and keep reaching out in faith to them. And listen, I know it can be easy as a church where you always hear us talk about and celebrate the number of people making decisions to accept Christ, to think that, you know what, it's just going to keep happening. I don't need to participate in this. Can, and listen, I was looking at the numbers just a couple days ago. Do you know that in the last year and a half, we've had 160 people make decisions to commit or recommit their lives to Jesus Christ here? That's incredible. That's so awesome, and it's not normal here. I hope you guys realize that is not normal for church to see that many people making decisions to follow Jesus. But because of that, it can be easy to think, you know what? Church is growing. I don't need to participate in this. I don't need to bring, church, bring people to church. But to quote Ronald Reagan, who said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. See, we are here as a church to see people who are far from God and stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus Christ. And that freedom happening in their lives is one invitation away from extinction. When you think that you don't got to do it, who's going to do it? And if you think that way, chances are other people are thinking that way too. So who are you leaving this work of bringing people to church with you to? Who are you leaving that work to? Because the truth is, it's all of our responsibility, and I include myself in that as well. And so I've got a challenge for you all today. This boils down to one simple challenge. On your seat when you walked in, there was you know, a brightly colored three-by-five index card. I want you to pull that out right now. I picked the, the neon bright-colored cards in favor of Easter and spring and looking forward to seeing some flowers bloom. Also bright so that it catches your attention. I want you to, over the next week, maybe even today, maybe right now as I'm talking, there are pens in the pockets of the seats in front of you. I want you to simply write down the name of at least one person in each of those three categories that you're going to commit to praying for this week. One name of a close friend or family member, one name of an associate or acquaintance, and one name of a neighbor. And that last one might be a little more difficult because like I said, it might not be a physical neighbor. 
And listen, I'm, I'm participating in this challenge with you. I was praying yesterday about who I'm going to write down and pray for this week, because next week we're gonna give you physical invites that you can take with you and hand to the people that you're going to invite and ask to come with you to church on Easter Sunday. But this week, I just want you to write them down, and I want you to keep this somewhere where you're gonna see it every day. Keep it in your Bible, keep it in your wallet, keep it in your purse, pull it out every single day, maybe tape it to your bathroom mirror so that you're seeing it when you get ready in the morning. And I just want you to commit to praying for the names of at least three people that you're gonna try and invite to church with you on Easter Sunday. And here's the pushback I get from people sometimes when you preach a message about creating a culture of invitation and, and people are like, you know, I can't save anybody, only God does that. It's all in his plan anyway, so what, what, what role do I play in this? Only God saves people, and you know what? You're absolutely right. Only God can raise the dead, and that's what salvation is. It is a spiritual resurrection. The, the, our spirit, man, is, is, before we come to know Christ, is dead. And when we say, yes, there's a resurrection that happens, only Jesus can do that. In fact, that's what happened in John's gospel when his best friend Lazarus died. And he calls out in John eleven forty three, 43, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Only Jesus can raise the dead, including the spiritually dead people in your life. But here's what he said just moments before that, just a couple verses before. He said, but you take away the stone. You take away the stone. Jesus made Mary and Martha roll the stone away so that the sound of his voice could reach Lazarus where it was at. So my question to you this morning is, who do you need to remove the barriers from so that the person in your life who God wants you to care more about will be in front of the sound of God's voice on Easter Sunday? Who in your life needs to have some barriers removed? Who needs to get in front of God's voice that you need to remove the barrier for? We've got to take away the stone. And how do we do that? We've got to fan into flame what's inside of us. Two things that I'm gonna give you really quickly as we close that will help you to fan into flame what's inside of you. Two things to remember real quick. Number one, we've just gotta remember the simplicity of the gospel, which is that Jesus died to save them. He hung on a cross, not just to save you, but to save everyone you know. And number two, they're gonna live forever somewhere. All of us are going to live forever somewhere. But where we spend eternity depends entirely on what we do with the question of who is Jesus. You know, we started with this fan analogy from 2 Timothy. We're going to finish with a verse that has a fan in it as well. John the Baptist prophetically declares something about Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 12, when he said, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is a very sobering statement that John the Baptist is making. He's looking at a future event, and he's using an analogy of how a farmer uses a fan and uses wind to separate the, the wheat that he has gathered from his field and the kernel that is useful to make bread and different things like that from the chaff, the useless garbage part of the plant. And basically the bottom line of what John the Baptist is saying that Jesus is one day going to do, Jesus is the difference between heaven and hell. Period. And the bottom line is that at the end of the day, Jesus is the difference 
between heaven and hell. When, when we remember that Jesus died to pay the price of the sin that, are, that is in the lives of the people that we know and love, and when we remember that they're going to live forever somewhere, that is what helps us fan into flame the love that we have for God, the love that we have for people. Fan into flame. Jesus, I just pray for us today that you would, by your Holy Spirit right now, just blow across this room and blow across the embers of our heart. And for those of us, God, that have waxed cold in our devotion to you, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to go back and do the things we did at first. Lord, I pray that you would set us on fire for you. Lord, and that the people in our lives would be drawn to what comes out of us as you blow into our lives. You know, some of you here this morning, I think maybe are in a season of the wilderness and you feel so dry and you haven't felt on fire. And you know, that analogy I gave you of you know, the campfire with my son Sammy last summer and the wet wood that wouldn't start on fire. And when my wife brought dry wood, it started on fire immediately. And I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to remind you that sometimes the hottest and brightest fires happen after a season of dryness. When you've been left out to dry, sometimes that's the best kindling for God to do and start a fire in you that spreads and touches everyone around you. So God, I just pray that as a church, we would be a people that do our part to fan and to flame the gift of God within us. Lord, you've deposited a gift inside of us. And I pray that we would do what we can to fan that fire until it turns into a raging inferno. And God, I pray that you would increase our love for the people in our lives that don't know you. God, forgive us if we've been a people that you know, are great about fulfilling our religious obligation and coming to church while we forget about the people around us that don't know you and desperately need what we have. So Lord, we just, we receive your fire this morning and ask you, God, to help us to not be ashamed, to not be afraid, to invite the people in our lives, our friends and family, our associates and acquaintances, our neighbors, God, everyone we come into contact with. Help us to not be afraid, to tell them about how much you've changed our lives. And may we see such a harvest of souls in this place in three weeks from today as we celebrate your resurrection, God. We thank you in advance for the spiritual resurrection that's gonna take place in our moms and dads, our husbands and wives, our brothers and sisters, our sons and daughters, our coworkers, our classmates, our teammates, our neighbors, God. I pray that there would be such resurrection in this place that heaven would throw a party and that we would celebrate the life change that happens here because you rose from the grave. God, we thank you. Set us on fire, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. amen. Church, I hope you feel encouraged today. I hope you feel a little more heat inside your spirit this morning to go out and to pray about 
the people that are going to go on this card so that next week when we give you those invites, you can go out with boldness, with confidence, knowing that they've been covered in prayer. They're going to be primed and ready to receive that invitation. I love you so much, church. I can't wait to worship with you again next week. Have an awesome week. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.